very, very humble story. In fact, that as I always think about how lucky I am to, to teach, and, and I always say still learning. As, as a teacher, you, you learn if you're a lifelong learner all, all the way along the, the continuum. But uh, we were all part of a, a coaching team that year, and um, then the then Lori Hyman, who's now the athletic director at Livonia Stevenson, I'm pretty sure, and I think Lori's still there. And so she called me up and says, well, the cross-country position's available. Would you like it? And I said, well, yeah, when would you like me to come in for an interview? And she said, well, like, how about now? Do you want the job? And I said, well, well I, yeah, sure. So, you know, my wife and I had talked about it. So in 1998, I took over the boys' cross-country program. And so you, you talk about why. You, you know, and I had, I had no idea what I was working with other than um, the team had qualified for the state championships twice in the last since there had been a cross-country team at Dexter, which I'd found in the old yearbook was in the early 50s, 51 or 52. There was a snapshot of four, five, six boys and a, a man in a white shirt and a black tie and looked pretty official. And so um, they'd had some reasonable success over the years, maybe individually. They'd had three medalists total. Um, one, young, one young man in the 80s had medaled. He was like 13th or 15th in the race. And then in the last couple of years, right before I... Um, taken over, Jamie Burke was a state runner-up in 96, and then the year prior, Shane Overby, whose dad was a Hall of Fame coach up at Ann Arbor Huron, Shane Overby, Kent's boy, was All-State. So there'd been like these smatterings of, of, <coughs> excuse me, of success, but never as a team component. Whether it was a, a hokey story or not, but during the 2016 Olympic Games, I remember the commentators came out and they said, you know, this may be quite an interesting thing this year. The Javelin Olympic champion in 2016 in Rio was a man who, when he was, at least as I remember the story, he, he said, well, how did you learn how to javelin? And the guy says, YouTube. And so I thought, you know, that's a seminal moment when we don't need certain things because we can pivot to these other things. So literally when I got the quote from a, you know, a, a reputable one-day window guy, I was like, that's a lot of money. And then I ended up saying, well, I've put windows in on new construction. I never did it old, you know, on, on uh, remodel construction. So I just went on YouTube and found this guy from homeimprovements.com, this guy with a nice Minnesota accent. I listened to his video and I looked at all the stuff. I ordered the stuff. I'm like, if I mess one window up, I can take it out and I do it again. I do it again. So this is Jamie Dudash, social studies teacher at Dexter High School. You are listening to the Iron Dread podcast. Here we are. We're back, live, to record on your Iron Dread podcast. I'm your host, as always, Chris Whitaker. Thanks for tuning in to the show this week. I've been a little hiatus. We're back with episode 63, and our special guest this week, Mr. Jamie Dudash, social studies teacher and coach uh, here at our very own Dexter High School. This was a great conversation with Jamie. Uh, the, uh, you know, his legend if you will um, spans across the school he has been here he's one of our longest tenured teachers here at Dexter High School he's a historian of all things um, you know Dexter High School and many other things um, being a social studies and history teacher uh, he's full of knowledge he's a passionate human being in everything he does and uh, he brings some great stories, and uh, it was a great conversation with Jamie, and we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but before that, I want to thank our premier sponsor, Pit Boss Grills. It's June. June brings Father's Day, and Pit Boss 
has some great deals that you can find through our website, irondreadpodcast.com slash pitboss-grills. Check it out. We have $160 off the Pit Boss 700 series. What dad wouldn't love a new Pit Boss 700 series? And he doesn't even have to know that you saved $160 on that grill. 25% off all cast iron cookware, pitbossgrills.com. Pit Boss Sportsman 820 Pellet Grill. The Sportsman, the Outdoors Pellet Grill 8-in-1 features on this thing. Man, it can do it all. Smoke, grill, sear, bake, you name it. You can use a Pit Boss for anything. I love mine. I'm a Pit Boss owner. I have two Pit Boss uh, Pellet Grills. The Pro Series 1100 and the smaller... Uh, portable pit boss. I believe it's a 300 series pit boss. I like to take that one camping. Love the pit boss grills. That's why uh, we are proud to partner with them here as the official outdoor cooking sponsor of your Iron Dread podcast. So again, visit irondreadpodcast.com slash pitbossgrills and follow the link to check out all these deals and all the deals pit boss is offering this month right here from your Iron Dread podcast. Um, We also have a new segment to add into the show. Uh, We have a saying around here, uh, and I've borrowed it from two wrestlers, Big Kaz and Enzo Amore, telling people to not be soft. S-A-W-F-T soft we are all working to be tougher harder individuals so we can accomplish the most we can none of us are perfect all of us have moments of weakness however man we gotta be less soft so this segment is known as the softest thing i heard this week Yes, the softest thing I've heard this week. These are just some things that we've compiled up a list. I'm going to give you one each week and kind of talk about it. And remember, none of us are perfect. Even yours truly, um, we have these things that sometimes I might even find myself saying these things. And i got to wake myself up and say, you're being soft. Let's work through this. And the one that I have is probably one that we hear the most and people use the most when it comes to training and being active and say, I don't have time to train. S-A-W-F-T, soft. We can find a way. If you make training a priority in your life, you can find it. Folks, I know I struggle with this. Running the schedule that I run, spend more time in a weight room, helping kids train, helping kids be the best they can be. I have to train around those times. I am not a strength coach that likes to uh, train while there are student athletes in the gym. Uh, Occasionally, I will do it when we are in, you know, smaller group settings uh, with certain kids uh, that I know don't need my full attention as far as coaching them, right? But if we have a weight room full of kids, I am not going to be training in there while there's a weight room full of kids. I'm moving around. 
I'm coaching them and helping them be better. So that leaves very few uh, hours in the day to try and, and get some training in. So in order to be successful, we have to train in order to do the things we want to do, especially if you're a coach or a strength coach out there um, like myself. I feel as though I have to walk the walk if I'm going to talk the talk. So I've got to find ways to train. That means getting up early. I get up early in the morning. Many people do this and train. Sometimes I'm smoked. Sometimes I, I'm, I am gassed from all these things uh, you know, that we got on a day-to-day basis, you know, doing the podcast, doing, you know, coaching in the weight room, um, teaching my classes, doing all these things. But we just can't be swuffed enough to not train. So that's where we make it a point, get up, get out of bed. If you're smoked, like you can't get anything going. But for me, sometimes training might be getting up and, and going for a, a 10 or minute or 20 minute walk uh, while I watch a video on, on YouTube learning about something new. Other mornings, you know, I'll get up and I'll get a full training session in one of our, our four conjugate days in a week. Some weeks, I might get two of our, of our four, four cycle days in. I just try and make it a point each day to do something. And again, I, I do listen to my body. Many people do that and should do that. So I'm not going to grind myself into the ground, but I'm also going to be somebody and hopefully you are somebody that won't be soft and get after it. High school students, we build it in for you, especially our guys and girls here at Dexter High School. All right, to come in at 7 o'clock and train before school, you can do it. Or take our class and get it built into your school day. You can do it. Even come in in the afternoon when you don't have a sport practice to get to. We can all find time to do something and train. And that is our softest thing I heard this week. Brought to you by Jocko Discipline Energy Drinks. I wish. Hey, Jocko, you hear me out there? Love this. Love the drinks. Love the energy drinks. Putting them in here on this week's softest thing I heard this week. Also love all the Jocko's books, podcasts, and um, all his social media things. So check out Jocko Willink. Again, he's not a sponsor. Would love to have him uh, be a partner with us here. Um, probably never will hear this, Jocko, but enjoy all your stuff. And I like promoting things that I enjoy. Check out Jocko's book, Extreme Ownership, The Dichotomy of Leadership, Leadership Strategy and Tactics. Uh, all these uh, books that Jocko puts out, I love them. Love his podcast. And uh, check out Jocko Willink. So before we get into our special guest today, Mr. Jamie Dudash, just kind of updating everybody. Uh, fast and furious things going on around here, right? We're uh, getting after it. We're training in the weight room. Our kids are making a lot of progress. The ones that are coming into the building still. Um, we wrapped up school this week as, uh, as I record this, getting ready to move into our summer program, working our kids through uh, our, our summer program here uh getting ready and getting geared up for another football season Uh, so we're having a lot of fun out here um this week was 
you know, former guest of the show, Mr. Kit Moran's final uh, final days of st- students in the building as principal of Dexter High School. Um, you know, want to wish Kit the best. And if you didn't hear Kit's episode, he was episode number 62, the last episode before this one on the podcast. Uh, so go and uh, check that one out if you haven't already. Uh, Kit's a great guy, and we wish him the best in his retirement. Also, around here, uh, we are expanding our, we're growing our department here. Uh, yours truly normally would teach health and strength and conditioning and then run all our strength and conditioning classes uh, before school and after school. Um, because of our block scheduling, we had the need. Uh, we are hiring a new, a new teacher uh, coming in to expand our department to four individuals. So we've been uh, involved in the interviews with that, uh, with Mr. Ken Caning, Ms. Karen Walls, Ms. Kelly Otibiani, and our new principal, uh, Ms. Melanie Novak. That's been uh, that's been a, an interesting experience for me, um, and any other educators out there that you know you may or may not have been on an interview committee before. Uh, it was uh, it was interesting. It was um, an experience. I think I learned learned a lot, and it felt for me it uh, it felt good to be on the other side of the table for once, as somebody that uh, that struggled uh, for quite a while to get to uh, get to full full time jobs, et cetera. So, but it was good to good to meet meet all the candidates and uh, and learn a little bit more about them. And um, whoever does get this job, I wish them uh, wish them the best, and uh, be glad to have them on staff with us. So, folks, uh, without much further ado, I present to you our special guest on episode number 63 of your Iron Dread podcast, Mr. Jamie Dudash. All right, here we are. We're back live to record on the Iron Dread podcast, episode 63. Uh, I'm sitting here talking with Mr. Jamie Dudash, our special guest this week. Science, uh, social studies teacher here at Dexter High School. Mr. Dudash, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Coach Witt. Glad to have you here. Um, this first segment of the podcast is brought to you by someone that's not our sponsor yet. It's the Jocko Discipline Energy Drinks from Jocko Willink, Navy SEAL. Um, much like Pit Boss, we're going to try to work on getting, uh, trying to get as much sponsors as we can here, Mr. Dudash. You know, always be on that hustle, you know. You're talking about, uh, did you say a relationship to a Navy SEAL? Oh, yeah, Jocko Willink, um, who made this. I, I'm, folks at home can't see this. I'm showing Mr. Dudash the, uh, the can that I'm drinking. Uh, Jocko Willink was a Navy SEAL. Um, he, uh, he served uh, for like 20, he did a career in the SEALs okay. and has now come out with, he does a podcast. You know, he does guys like a few podcasts, wrote a few books. Okay. Um, that I read all of his books, and he sells T-shirts, and he sells energy drinks. So I'm trying to uh, trying to come down from the normal rain energy drinks to get me through the day to something that's a little bit more uh, real ingredients here. You know, we might be able to make a connection with him um, if he's got that Navy Seal component. You you may not know this, but uh, Dexter High School has a, a unique situation in that we have three current Navy SEALs that are serving in the United States Armed Forces for the Navy. Um, one is an officer, Alex Hess. Alex uh, graduated in 2000, 
uh, eight from Dexter High School, and he went the, the route of the Naval Academy. And a uh, 2007 graduate of Dexter High School, Danny Jackson, who ran at Notre Dame, he finished up a bachelor's degree there and then pursued a career in uh, the military and ended up going SEAL. And then a graduate of the 2000, uh, 2009 class, so it's really a 7, 8, and 9 deal. So Danny Jackson first, then Alex Hess Academy, and then uh, Jason Bishop. He went out to Montana State in Bozeman uh, and finished up a four-year degree, I think, in, in the sciences. I want to say chemistry. Um, just last summer, in fact, Jason called me uh, 3rd of July. Of course, we're in the middle of the, the pandemic, and he says, hey, coach, I'm down at a friend's house here in uh, Bellevue, Ohio. Can I, you know, what are you doing on the 4th of July? And I said, not, not really. Uh, you you want to come up? So he and he brought his friend up, and we spent like a long afternoon together, and he gave me the skinny on and all this stuff. So right now we have uh, three current active-duty Navy SEALs, all from Dexter High School, and of course the connection to me, a couple of them were, actually all three of them were students in the classroom, and they also were athletes that ran for me uh, as, you know, as cross-country runners. So maybe you send him an email or uh, catch him through social media and say, hey, listen, you know, this is the school I've got. These are guys that have uh, served in the same fashion you have and uh, have their tridents, and maybe he'll reach out. Yeah, I, I did not know that, and and this is what this is why I asked you to be on the show because you're full of great information. You've been here for a long time. And we're going to talk about a little bit about your story, sure. but I did not I did not know that there are three active Navy SEALs that graduated from this yeah. this school. I, that's really cool. Yeah. So, you you've been here for a while, right? Can you tell our listeners a little bit of your story of how you wound up here at Dexter High School doing what you're doing, teaching social studies? Sure, very very humble story in fact that as I always think about how lucky I am to, to teach and and I always say still learning as, as a teacher you, you learn if you're a lifelong learner all, all the way along the the continuum but so I actually uh, grew up in northern Michigan but then uh, every summer I would come down to my grandparents they had a horse farm on Sio Church Road it's probably more affectionately today known as uh, Misty Acres it's where they have the the party barn so to speak uh, where a lot of weddings and, and functions take place there that the Frutic family owns but two barns on one side um, were, were part of our Morgan horse uh, breeding facility that my grandparents ran from 1968 um, when they bought the property until 2007 when my grandmother passed away and there was a transition again there um, so Dexter was was I went to second grade so I was a proud Bates Bulldog back when they were Bulldogs nobody knows before we assumed the whole um, sort of aquatic Mariner theme throughout the district for all the buildings so I had kind of a connection to Dexter and then um, I would always spend my summers here working on the, on the farm baling hay mucking out stalls training horses breaking horses breeding horses and so for me, I always liked, was really attracted to the time I spent here with family. So there was a sense of nostalgia and a, a, a commitment to family that, that just always brought me back here. And then as the path led to college, um, it was only an hour away. So I think one of those funny things was is going to college uh, at Hillsdale College, when you wanted to quote unquote go home for a weekend, get your laundry done, see family, have a home cooked meal, uh, rather than the, the three and a half hour jaunt up to to, to the uh, Traverse City area, it always sort of made sense. I could see my aunt, my uncle, my cousins, my grandparents in a quick fell swoop for a weekend. It was an hour and five minutes away and you could be in Dexter. So for whatever reason, that nexus of home always felt sort of here, Washtenaw County. And 
as a kid with a couple buddies I had, we'd always run into Ann Arbor and you could get ice cream at Stoogie's and, you know, if you were lucky, you could catch Juwan Howard or any of the Fab Five rolling down South U and you could holler at them or, you know, and, and that happened in college. So um, for me, um, you know, I completed college. I took a job in Florida for a little while. I ended up meeting my, my future wife, Amby. And then as the desire to teach and coach kind of became uh, more apparent, I, I said, let's make the leap and move back to Michigan. And my wife was patient with that decision and said, let's, let's go back. And I said, the best place to be would be Southeast Michigan. And I applied and interviewed for a, uh, a number of jobs. And, and this was the one place that, that I got offered a job. And so I took it. And um, so I always kind of like kept uh, principal Moran said thank, thanks to Ev Shirk for taking a chance on a principal who'd never been principal uh, 15 years ago for him my path 24 years ago I can say the same thing about Ev Shirk that she took a chance on a wild-eyed uh, crazy guy who wanted to teach who had holes in his penny loafers at the interview because that's all I could afford at the time and I left the interview I, I got back to the job site we were framing a house uh, a timber frame house in Manchester I took off my, my suit and tie and, you know, quickly changed into my blue jeans and put my tool belt on and my uncle yelled down to me. He said, well, James, how'd the interview go? And I said, well, I got some good practice. And I was trying to be pragmatic and, and hopeful, but pragmatic. And then uh, she gave me the call and I spent seven years at, uh, teaching at Mill Creek, mostly eighth graders, which I, I really loved. Um, that I thought was a challenging time for me growing up and then I found out when I did my student teaching as an eighth grade teacher, I, gosh, I really like this age group. And then after seven years teaching at the middle school, uh, at the time the principal up at the high school called me and said, hey, I, you know, you're coaching up here already. You got a chance to do team teaching with American history with, a, with a, an English teacher and you could pair that experience that you're doing now with team teaching at the middle school level at the high school so you'd still have that same model of teaching um, you wouldn't be, you know, in a room by yourself, shutting the door kind of component, which is something that I'd really appreciated about the, the team aspect of Mill Creek. So coming up to the high school, the chance to work with Zach Linke and to work in uh, what was called at the time American Studies, the English 9 uh, curriculum paired with the American history of the time seemed really attractive. And so for me, the, the path to Dexter High School was one that started with experience at the middle school and then brought me to... Uh, so the high school really, at the time, the decision was, wow, I could, I was coaching high school athletes, maybe that would bring me closer to those athletes, I wouldn't have maybe so much of the jockeying back and forth, and like anything, you get the, you've done a certain amount of time in one space, you're ready to kind of stretch yourself. So I, I came up in 2004, and um, yeah, so then at the same time, uh, of course, got married in 97, the same year I got the job at Mill Creek, and so... We started living, we were first in Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti area, then in Ann Arbor, bought a house, and then um, at the same time in 2004, I guess we decided to shake the, the apple, apple barrel totally up. We bought a house out in Dexter Township, and we've been there ever since, and um, yeah, so then um, life happens. I, I finished coaching, it, it was 10 years in 2007, and of coaching cross country, and then my, my son was born the Sunday before the state finals in 2007, and then we, we made some decisions as a family to have me step back from coaching, which was, I, I will always say, one of the toughest, but also one of the most rewarding decisions. And then, um, you know, I spent the, the last time getting, uh, you know, pivoting more to those other commitments that happen outside the classroom at home. So 
My son's now 13, and Luke's a seventh grader and a runner at Mill Creek. And my daughter Lauren is a third grader, and she's nine, and she's at Wiley. So that's kind of the space and place we're at and how we got to, to today, Coach. Yeah, 24 years later, still here, going strong, one of the leaders in our social studies department and uh, leaders in the building, for sure. So you said that, you know, you talked about a little bit about your coaching experience. Um, as an athlete, let's start there first, then we'll get into coaching and, and, and what you did there. So what were you involved in athletically growing up? So really, I, I guess athletically, it would probably start on the farm. I mean, when you're working with a 1,500-pound horse, as a kid, I owned, I owned a started with a small horse, a Gotland, which many people call a pony, uh, but in the horse world, when you don't have a, a horse and it's not a pony, you get to, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of breed from, from uh, Sweden, so I always claimed it was a, pony, a horse. They call them a horse there, it's not a, it's not a Shetland. Mm-hmm. Um, then, of course, my grandfather let me buy a, a purebred Morgan, and so I had two Morgans along the way after that, so I grew up around horses, so there's a lot of physicality with that, but we weren't a, a soccer family or a football, you know, we weren't doing Pop Warner and that stuff because I lived out in the, in, you know, in the boonies in a, in a rural community. So there wasn't critical mass of getting kids together. And then there was just some real kismet that happened. Um, my guidance counselor in my eighth grade year, actually, he was the 712 guidance counselor. I was just really struggling with some stuff. And I spent a better, a better share of hours in Mr. Glover's office in eighth grade. And he said, you know, I saw these plaques on his wall and there's trophies and these you know huge poster boards of times and I didn't get I didn't get any of it and he says uh, you know I ever thought about coming out for cross country and I'm like to be perfectly frank and honest um, I, I thought it was running through the woods I thought what did somebody put little like little electrical tape markers on trees and you kind of ran like a f- uh, obstacle course so at the first glance I was like well, I don't know it sounds kind of cool and only years later would I find out that when he got hired in 19 19- 70 or 72 at Kingsley that he said that the, the, the Mr. Perkins, the principal, said, hey, I, Rob, I need you to take over the cross-country program. So he showed up at his first practice as a new cross-country coach, and he says, well, where do we get the skis? So I had to chuckle that his naivete as an adult, you know, obviously, you know, 20, you know, 15, 20 years earlier had been as, 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 as much as mine, and so we always have a good chuckle about that. And so I went out for the team as a freshman. I had no running experience other than the 600 you do in the presidential fitness thing back when it was not a full mile. It was 600 yards around the track. Yep. And for some reason, when I pulled that certificate out probably probably 20 years ago, it said, well, you were in the 20th percentile for pull-ups and sit-ups, but gosh, you were in the 91st percentile for that 600-yard run. And I've always chuckled about that. So Coach uh, reluctantly, you know, I, I reluctantly went out and you know i guess one of the galvanizing stories that that coach loves to tell even when we get together he goes he's he goes you know i remember walking into his house the day before practice and uh, you know it was the meet and greet thing before the season starts and there's some upperclassmen up on the railing on the second floor of, of coach's house and steve mcgregor and brian muth who are now the rising uh, captains of the team and the team had been third at the state finals the year prior, so there was high anticipation that this would be a quality year. And Brian and Steve looked at each other as I walked in, and I, I admit I was a bit disheveled kid. I had big old mop of curly hair, you know. I hadn't shaved. I was one of those kids that was a little dark on the Italian, uh, sh- you know, shadow and kind of awkward, gawky, goofy-looking kid. And I guess Steve leans over to Brian and ch- chuckles and says, "Dudash is coming out for cross country." 
And within an instant, me hearing that, I'm like, well, this is going to be a party. And then I look at Coach Glover, and without a, without a blink, he looked at his two captains, and he said, you won't be laughing when he takes your sweats. And I remember, like, first off, A, I don't even know what sweats are. B, clearly that wasn't a welcoming comment from either of these fellas. And Coach Glover wasn't having any of it, whatever that was. So I remember getting on my bike, and tears were kind of streaming down my eyes as I carried this champion sweatshirt that was ripped that didn't even have Kingsley Cross Country written on the front and I'm thinking so this is my introduction to sport like this is going to be what it's all about so a little bit of an Alger Hiss or Alger Hiss uh, you know an Al, uh, Horatio Alger story rags to riches as it were so that first year we go to the state finals I do make the top seven I'm not f- as fast as those guys we get to the state finals at West Shore Community College in Ludington and the number one team in the states, Fowler. They're supposed to just sort of concord one or the other. And so the race is done. We're all getting together with our teams long before there was fully automatic timing and you can read the results that were posted, you know, from the mile or two miles. So everybody's literally just filling out these little, you know, place cards from all the runners. And Coach Glover yells over to, uh, to the coach at Fowler and says, you know, how many, how many points you got? And he says, well, we got 84, uh, 86, Rob. And he goes, how many you got? And Coach Glover says, well, we've got 84. And he goes, well, congratulations. So we thought we won the state championship. And, of course, we're jumping up and down. It's on the old VHS shaky jake uh, thing. And then somebody yells over, Coach yells over to Chuck King, the coach at Concord, Michigan, and says, Chuck, how many points you got? And Chuck says, well, we got 84 too, Rob. Oh, I went down to the six-man rule. So anybody that knows cross-country knows, at least at the high school level in MHSAA rules, it goes to the six-man. Concord's finished 24th. And ours was 38th. So we lost the state title in the closest way you can lose, unless it's, you know, the athlete's 26th and 27th. Like, literally, it's you, – you, they don't tie like the NCAA. If you score the same amount in NCAA track or cross country, you just code national champions. So we were some sad boys that – and we all said to one another on Monday in the cafeteria, we promised not to lose the state championship the next year. So we came back and we did. So after my sophomore year, I went to my coach and I said, so can uh, – and I was, I was from a family where going to college wasn't going to be a foregone conclusion. That wasn't just the next natural step from high school on to college. It was a, a I, we didn't have a graduating class of around 70. Not every student, that was the path. That was the, you know, some kids to the military, some to, to the workforce straight away. It wasn't just maybe a, a given. So I said, well, how do you, how do you could, could I get a scholarship to run? You know, could that be the path to college? And so... Coach Glover said, "Well, it has been for some," uh, and I, he said, "Well, what do you, what do you think?" And I'm like, "I need to know what that is." So I started looking at running as sort of a means to an end, even though it was wildly rewarding. And so my goal was, I wanted to get, I want to go to college. Um, so then, sharpened the saw. My sophomore year, I made it to the state finals in the in the eight, in the 3200 and uh, placed. Uh, I was eighth as a sophomore, and then my junior year, I was third in cross country in the fall. Doubled back in the in the spring, was fifth in the 3200, and then, you know, then these letters started coming in. I'm like, well, this is kind of cool, and you know, from legitimate places. And I'm like, this is like real. And then he's like, yeah, it's real. And so you start expecting to start thinking about, you know, the, the next step. So senior year, all state in the fall again in cross and same in track. And then, you know, then it was decision time go visit these schools and so I looked and looked and I went I looked at Eastern um, I looked at Saginaw Valley uh, um, Hillsdale 
And naturally, I was thinking Eastern immediately because Bob Parks was a legendary Hall of Fame coach here, and I knew that Eastern was a top flight uh, educational school. And Saginaw Valley had just built a brand new indoor facility, um, the Ryder Center, and Jim Nesbitt was a, was a fantastic, phenomenal coach. And then, you know, <clears throat> as things would have it, I ended up at Hillsdale largely because it was a small school, a lot like what I'd experienced, 1,100 kids, larger than my own high school. And the coach was just uh, very much a, a mentor and a father kind of like figure. And I thought if I was going to be putting in 30 hours a week at an athletic facility with somebody that wasn't the professor of the class, I better really like this guy. And he just it was a natural fit. So then the path led to Hillsdale, and um, we had some really good success there. Um, four GLIAC uh, conference championships uh, in cross country, so we won them all. And then in track, we won six of eight, indoor and outdoor. And so we had some really good, strong team chemistry. And then at the national level, um, we had three top 10 finishes, including a national runner-up my junior year in 1992. And then we came back my senior year, and we were the third best team in the country. Um, so. Um, the individual accolades kind of were, were in there too. I was All-American twice in cross country and then uh, once in indoor track um, as well. So I think for me, um, the athletic piece was, was part, of, part of the college experience and then it also became your, your fraternity, you know, and you go to a large university, sometimes students pursue the, the, Greek, uh, the Greek system looking for that camaraderie and peace. And, what I had garnered out of high school, and then it really I think was much more enriched at the college component was the relationships that you build, and um, you know the weddings you go to long after of your college teammates and the relationships you have, and those have just been really great um, to develop over the over the years. And um, so yeah, that that was the athletic component for me. But then later, when I started coaching, it was about seeing what others had given to me, and then going. It's almost like my time to give back and say like. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't have done these things if it wasn't for these people, and now it's time to pay it forward. And that's really, you know, when I looked at my wife and I said, I want to be a teacher coach. And, you know, there was a sense of a, there was a mission sense of, like, feeling like this was a thing you needed to do, you know, a, an odyssey, as it were, to make sure I, 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 I did right by those that had quietly given me those hours beyond what was on the, on the paycheck or on the pay mm -hmm. clock to, to other student-athletes and their families. Yeah, I mean that's to me that's that, that's what all of us that are are really passionate and care about coaching like that that's what we're in it for, right? We're not necessarily in it. You were a very decorated and successful athlete. You're not trying to re relive what you did as an athlete. You're trying to pass on to the next generation, right? Um, one of the things we talk about uh, a company that I follow very much, Elite FTS. Their, one of their slogans is live, learn, pass on. So our way, for us, right, we were athletes, right, we lived, we learned, and then we became coaches to pass on. And I think that's, that's the best part of what we do. When we see kids that um, we, we can help um, empower them to be involved in sport, um, develop their love of the sport like what was done for us, hey. I mean, I wouldn't be sitting right here doing what I do if it wasn't for Tom Lachlan at Kingston High School right? and Ed Jaskolski at Brockport and all these other people. So it's, uh, you know, that's what, we're, what our calling is. So you wound up coaching, and you, your first coaching job was here at, at Dexter. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was assistant track and field coach 
starting that first year I was teaching with uh, Jim Jaworski was the, the men's coach and Dick Grants was the women's coach but we and then uh, Holly Cabana it's funny how all the pieces come together uh, Holly Cabana which is now Cole Cabana's mom on the side one of our uh, decorated um, you know prospect football stars on the gridiron and then also a fine fine sprinter on the oval uh, we were all part of a, a coaching team that year and um, then the then Lori Hyman, who's now the athletic director at Livonia Stevenson, I'm pretty sure, and I think Lori's still there. And so she called me up and says, well, the cross-country position's available. Would you like it? And I said, well, yeah, when would you like me to come in for an interview? And she said, well, like, how about now? Do you want the job? And I said, well, why, yeah, sure. So, you know, my wife and I had talked about it. So in 1998, I took over the boys' cross-country program. And so you, you talk about why you, you know, and I had, I had no idea what I was working with other than um, the team had qualified for the state championships twice in the last since there had been a cross-country team at Dexter which I'd found in the old yearbook was in the early 50s 51 or 52 there was a snapshot of four five six boys and a, a man in a white shirt and a black tie and looked pretty official and so um, they'd had some reasonable success over the years maybe individually they would had three medalists total um, one young, one young man in the 80s had medaled he was like 13th or 15th in the race and then in the last couple of years right before I had um, taken over. Jamie Burke was a state runner-up in 96, and then the year prior, Shane Overby, whose dad was a Hall of Fame coach up at Ann Arbor Huron, Shane Overby, Kent's boy, was All-State. So there'd been like these sp smatterings of, of <clears throat> excuse me, of success, but never as a team component. So that first year I coached, we had 16 guys come out for the team. Um, three or four or five of them were freshmen that I had haggled out of my eighth grade class that year. So I found out that one of the downsides of moving to the high school is, is that you don't have a way to feed quality athletes out of the middle school. So one of the things I only learned at the end of, of my, my tenure coaching was I underestimated the power of being able to work on kids as seventh and eighth graders or talk to the physical education teacher that was your colleague and say, hey, tell me about that, that skinny kid there. Tell me about this kid who's having a tough time in the classroom, but you think could, you know, would bite down and work hard and, and you know, have the discipline. And so um, I, I now look back and I say with, with perfect hindsight, it's 2020, that the best place to be is be a middle school teacher that teaches a fall or coaches a fall sport because then you can just grab these kids and say, no, you're just going to go to the weight room or you're just going to come out on the road, you know, in the summer and we'll get you hooked. Um, so that's, I guess that'd be some of my um, wisdom to pass on there. But in speaking about taking over the team, so team that hadn't qualified for the state championships at least in a couple years, 16 boys, throw them in the van. I said, well, we're going to do a camp. So I tried to replicate my college camp experience as best I could. We went out to the Waterloo area out in Chelsea and stayed at Sugarloaf Lake or Portage. I can't remember Portage. I guess it was Portage. And we camped for a couple nights and we built some, some camaraderie and team. And the kids were like, well, we've never done this before. And I said, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start creating these tra uh, traditions and start building an investment that's bigger than yourself. And um, that first year, we didn't make it to the state finals, and nor did we in 1999 uh, or 2000. But we started building those capacities. We started getting the numbers up. We went from 16 to 24 to 28 to just over 30. And in my head, I always thought four perfect teams, you know, seven, 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 seven. If you're somewhere around four sets of teams, of, of athletes, you've got a critical mass. I really think cross country has to be one where you've got enough of a pecking order where the kid says, well, I gotta be better than Joey because he's my best buddy and I'm not being 16th on the team, I'm gonna be 12th. And you have to have enough of that push-pull so that you feel committed to it. And then um, then I'd say, you know, I always say that 
the great story is is that the the stars that obviously all went on to to great things so many of these kids were division one athletes was in in 2001 we had a crop of just phenomenal freshmen that came in and i could name them all mike little jay ledley andrew perinsky or no andrew was a sophomore i'm sorry um so we got jay ledley mike little um tony nally T.J. LaRosa and Lex Williams among, and I know I'm missing one. So if you're out there, you know you're in there in the mix too. You're in the you're in the in the listing. But um, these boys came out, and the star of the show was really Lex Williams. Lex was uh, had already done Hershey track and field meets. He's he had already done a lot of youth stuff. His older sister Callie was already on the team. She had been on all state as a freshman. So Lex came in with the best pedigree. And Tuesday, September 11, 2001, was supposed to be Jamboree number one. I woke up, it was a beautiful morning. Get my pickup, leaving Ann Arbor, heading in. I'm like, this is the day. We had just beat Chelsea squarely on a Saturday uh, invitational weekend prior. The kids were all, oh, they just wanted it. They were itching to race. It was like every kid was in the, you know, they were like horse, uh, race horses. They were already in the in the gates. They just were like, can we just get to the meet? They're like, can, can we race them tonight, coach? I'm like, Tuesday, we'll come. And as everybody knows, um, the day took a drastic turn. And the meet was postponed. Uh, people were in mourning, dealing with what the next steps would all be. The meet, meet was rescheduled that, that following day, the 12th of the Wednesday. And we had the meet. And at two and a half miles, I see Lex grimacing. He goes by. And that doesn't look good when your athlete just a couple days before was just flying high. He's just your star freshman. And then all of a sudden, that doesn't look good. He finishes the race. He has a stress fracture. We find out the next day. And one of the upperclassmen, Andrew Prinsky, actually runs up the hill and says, Coach, what are we going to do? Lex Williams is out. It's, you know, it's like the sky is falling. And I just looked at him as one of the top five, six guys. I said, well, what are you going to do to fill the void? And I remember that being a pivotal conversation with those young men because they were all underclassmen. There were no seniors on that in the top seven or eight. And I said, what are you going to do? I said, we, we did lose the first meet, but there's two more Jamboree races. Do you want to win an SEC championship? And this is a group of guys that, that I had coached that we just they'd never won anything, and meaning an invitational, you know, a little freshman sophomore race. There had really been no, you know, for that physicality of the, the trophy or the plaque or something to say we're making progress, which, uh, you know, as a football coach, you well know, it's hard to get behind the X's and O's and say, I know we still lost by 20, but you all improved by, that This doesn't feel until you can put that thing in physically in your hand or tack a W on that team that's that, that, that team. And, um, so for us, Chelsea had been the, the gold standard. If I had just beat Swagger's boys, that was the goal. And we'd done that, but then they snuck one on us, you know, by one point at the Jamboree. So we went into the second Jamboree in 2001, and over at, Link at Lincoln, the kids did flip it around at Rolling Hills, and they got the victory by seven or eight. And they're like, well, and I said, yeah, and you did that without Lex. Now do you want to win the conference cha championships? And, of course, that happened, and we got to the regional, and then they lost the regional by two points, and they were devastated. They are like, well, if we had Lex, I said, ifs and buts or candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. I said, it's, these are the, you toe the line with these seven athletes today. Yep. And so I said, are you excited about your season? Are you excited to finish that you're going to qualify for the state finals in the, in, you know, in the first time ever? And they were like, yeah, we're pretty excited. But Chris Burke, at the time the team leader and the number one runner, looked at me and said, we're not done yet. I said, okay. What are we going to do? So we get to the state finals and a team of uh, juniors. We were the youngest team in the state. So I did all the stats. I looked at all the numbers, and I you know, took the seven runners on every team, and I ranked them. I said, you guys need to know you're the youngest team on the state. You got, we had uh, three juniors, uh, three, or three juniors, two sophomores, 
or no, yeah, two, two juniors, three sophomores, three freshmen. I said, we're putting a lot of youth on the, on the line here. And they said, well, then we're going to do as much damage as we can, coach. And I said, if we finish top 10, we would be over. And they all decided top 10 was fantastic. Chris crosses the line in a heartbreaking position. He's 31st, top 30-year All-State in medal. He was crushed. And then he looked behind Danny Meyer, who is the son of Greg Meyer, a three-time All-American at Michigan and a Boston Marathon winner and, a, and an American and, and world record holder. Danny crossed the line in 41st. I'm like, hey, we're actually doing okay. We didn't get a medalist out of the deal, not bad. And then I look at my three, four, five, and they were 108, 109, 111th in the state meet together. Or, or, 1, 9, 10, 11. They were just boom, 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 boom. 1709, 1709. They were like a blur. And I said, well, we didn't win the state title, but I tell you what, I don't think we were 10th. Results come in to the coaches, and I look at it, and I said, we were 6th. And they beat the team that, that won the regional two uh, a week prior. And the guys were over the moon. So Jay Ledley's dad, his son, had been in the top seven for that race. And uh, Rob Ledley took the boys over to the big MIS sign. And if you've ever been out to Michigan Speedway, it's a it's a huge place. You can feel pretty small there. And he took a really cool shot of the seven guys with the camera pointing up at the at the position sign where they have all the cars fly by position one, two, three, four. And uh, I remember either standing with the fellas or off to the side, and I said, you know, with the youngest team in the state, all these teams ahead of you are going to graduate somebody. You're not going to graduate anybody. I said, do you guys want to come back and take the same picture next year with a state championship trophy in your hand? And they all kind of looked at me kind of, and I said, well, somebody's going to win it. Why not you? And I think that day in 2001 is when those young men sat together. And they, 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 were, they were scheming on the bus home because we had a bus that year. It wasn't just two or three athletes you know, jammed in a car. And I think they were scheming from November, you know, that first weekend in November of 2001, all the way until the next following year. They were scheming on how they were going to do what it would take to be the difference between good and great, between being a player at the dance and being a participant, to being a competitor, to being a champion. And that, to me, was really the, the, cool, the cool story is they, they had not been built on, a, on an experience of excellence. They were like, well, last year's team, they had to find a way. And I, as a coach, had, had to find a way. And we had so many people helping us get there. Um, Greg Meyer among him and many parents who had started a booster club. And there were so many components of people so willing to give of, them time, of their time mercilessly and without any want of return other than the kids opportunity to be their best and of course 2002 they went back to the state championships um, at that point now undefeated through the entire season had not lost a meet in 2002 get to the state meet and they're all looking at each other and the nerves were well we could lose it all and we could really screw up and, and the joke was from Greg Meyer told me he said Jamie your job is just not screw them up and make sure they get to the line and they got their spikes on and the championships so they can be recorded. And I said, yeah, I can, do, I can do the small things. And I remember we got them to the line. And of course, they were on a mission. They, they had a plan. And they broke the Division II state low record that, that meet. And they walked away with three, three athletes all state. Everybody under whatever it was, 17-11, I think was the seventh man. And, and uh, you know, that was the beginning of a great run. Yeah, it's it's crazy to to listen to it because there are so many similarities to, to you developing that team as to what we've we've gone through in the last few years with our football program here. You know, uh, something a program that was based on you know there wasn't much success, right? right? And finding a way to not only motivate them but continue to reinforce like, okay, hey, you're 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 doing the right things. Here's a marker of your success. 
It might not have been what you want to be, where we want to be yet, but it was a marker. It was a step. And now we're building and we're building and we're building. So it, it's a great story. That's really cool to hear hear about with all those guys uh, being that successful and, and you bringing them there. All right. So I think this is, this is probably a good spot here, oh, Jamie, to kind of throw in our, our speed set questions. Now, sure. these are things that I always say that they're supposed to go fast, right? A lot of times we go... You know, in the weight room, we do speed sets where it's like, you know, 45 second rest periods, right? Do a set, you know, next next guy's up. As soon as that guy's coming out, you're grabbing a bar, getting underneath it, right? Helping build our work capacity and all that jazz. It's supposed to go fast. Okay. They never do. Okay. We always wind up talking about <laughs> stuff, and that's completely okay. All right, so the first one I got for you is being a Michigan native, right? When I have people on from outside, like my New York folks, they're they're like, Go blue, go green. What's that? Uh, you know what that means. Do you have a loyalty to one or the other? Negative. So attended Boys State at Michigan State as a uh, high school junior, right? Stayed in Emmons, uh, Emmons Hall at Brody Complex and had a great experience. And I, I have a hand-signed recruiting letter from Jim Stincy. Um, so uh, State was attractive to me as a high school kid. And... Um, then, of course, at U of M, I've had the good pleasure of having Ronnie Warhurst, the former uh, track and field and cross-country great, speak in my class uh, from, from his perspective and experience as a United States Marine Corps uh, serviceman during, World War, uh, during the Vietnam War. So I've got connections to both, and I've, and I've had students or student-athletes. I've got three that went to Michigan State, so proud to, to give a shout-out to Ben Carruthers that went and has, has, has uh, completed his career at MSU. And two students in the classroom, I didn't have the pleasure of coaching them, but Nathan Larson and Owen Hewitt are current Sparties there right now. But then to run for Ron, I had three athletes run for Ronnie. Uh, Tony Nally and Lex Williams both went together in 2000, uh, 2005 and joined the Wolverines. And then, of course, Bobby April um, followed uh, three years later and went up to Michigan and had a fine career as well. Um, some of those men were all Big, uh, all big Ten, some were Big Ten champions. Um, competed in the national championships in many cases and uh, of course with with Lex Williams he went on post-grad to run sub four in the 1500 and made the Olympic trials in 2016 and now um, Lex is paying it forward he is now a, a head high school cross-country coach in the Denver area um, teaching I think math and econ out west so mm -hmm. You know, the, the circle is almost complete now when you yeah. see the, the Padawans becoming the Jedi Masters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All, 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 the, all those younglings now are, are learning the ways of the Force and, and going out into their own areas. For okay. Sure. So, so Jamie's not picking a side here, folks. He's got big connections uh, with, with both Michigan State and Michigan. So we'll move to the next one. Now, I know you're, you're a movie, movie guy here, right? Can you pick just one film that is your favorite. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to have to say it's one movie that's the same movie. It's just three different venues with three different stars. So it's called, the new movie is called Raiders of the Lost Ark Top Gun Star Wars Episode Five. <laughs> so considering Lawrence Kasdan uh, worked with George Lucas and Spielberg on Raiders and probably wrote what I believe is probably the greatest adventure screenplay ever, and the fact that Kasdan... And now later his son, I think, had been involved with the Star Wars um, franchise. And just the fact that Top Gun, at the end of the day, like, you can't get out of the 80s and be a kid of the 80s without wanting to, you know, go, you know, Mach, Mach 2 with your hair on fire. Or go inverted. Yeah. Keeping up foreign relations. 
Yeah, it's crazy, right? And I I know our kids that we teach now and and work with now, they weren't around when this stuff came out. But I still look at, like, we have an exercise called an inverted row. And I'm like, come on, you haven't seen Top Gun? You just got a row inverted. Yeah. (laughs) They don't don't get it. But Star Wars is is another one I often talk about with the kids a lot. Um, You know, and I think, I don't know where you stand on this. You probably want, like me. Um, they probably could have left out seven, eight, and nine, and just stopped after Return of the Jedi, right? Yeah, you know what? I think the most important thing about it was that they made their money back from the five billion or whatever they dropped paying George Lucas for the franchise. But at the end of the day, if it to me the excitement of the movies is if it binds us together like the Force, if you would have said, you know, it binds us together, it does, yes. <laughs> so at the end of the day, if it brings another generation of kids that can sit in a, you know, in a, in a really cool dark space chomping down popcorn with their grandfather, grandmother, or great aunt or grand auntie, uncle, and they can say, that was pretty cool, and they have that shared experience, it, it'll be different for them, but I think, you know, I, you, you, you're going to probably ask me another question here, but, like, if it brings us together, I think that's that's pretty special. And to see a 70-year-old guy wearing a Star Wars T-shirt and a 7-year-old girl wearing a, a Star Wars T-shirt, that's, that's, that's kind of a cool thing. It speaks to something I imagine George Lucas never in a million years in 1973, 74, when he was kicking this around, ever would have imagined would have been the reality. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody could have imagined it would become the huge thing that it is. Like, for me, like, these kids, like, they're they're really into, like, the, the animated um, Star Wars things. And I've never seen any of those. So they, like, start telling me stuff about that. Um, but, yeah, you're right. It does. It does. Although us, us that were fans of the original films... And for me, like, I remember when Episode One: Phantom Menace came out and the whole world went crazy because Star Wars was back, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, I now, I now despise Jar Jar Binks, but when I was a kid, you know, I'm like, oh, he's cool, you know. But it does, you're right, it does bring them to the... It, it, the new movie coming out can catch their interest where they now have common ground to go back and share the old films with people that were there when they came out and watched them. I'm growing up. Absolutely. Uh, Indiana Jones, I know minimal about, so I'm not going to talk that much about Indiana. That's okay. <laughs> but uh, as a, a, a history teacher, social studies teacher, I can see um, a lot of things uh, with Indy that you can connect to. So the next one, we just talked about movies. and The next one is TV. Uh, do you have any uh, favorite television shows? Well, you know, Netflix has changed the way we watch television. I think it's really pretty fascinating how that's happened so you know there's been a a chance you know my my wife and I watch different stuff on TV that in the international world has opened up so there's been some different stuff that have been on television now that you just wouldn't have gotten on 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 conventional uh, broadcast television so there's a there's a really cool Spanish show that's on Netflix called La Casa de Papel or Money Heist and literally it was a show that kind of on a lark Netflix bought and then they kind of threw it on there I guess sort of like a, we'll give it a try and it exploded and I think it, it runs in, in in Spanish on the on the Spanish channels first and then they get the license for it but um, and then I think maybe Netflix even over assumed production when they realized it was going to be such a big hit 
so it's concluding this this uh, this year at some point it'll drop based on the pandemic but that's been a fascinating interesting uh, ride sometimes I watch them in Spanish sometimes I watch them in English if I'm lazy I watch them in English but um, it's just good acting and it's a really good storyline it's about uh, these people who keep hijacking or stealing money from the, the national vault or from someplace in Spain and they're doing it kind of on the, on the guise of standing up for the little guy and then they wear those masks that look like in this case that look like Salvador Dali so there's a sense of they're doing it sort of like in the Robin Hood style. Mm -hmm. um, there's another dark show that's really kind of interesting with Jason Bateman on Netflix called Ozark that's a little out there. You just couldn't imagine a, a humdrum accountant working, you know, put, uh, crunching numbers in a, as a CPA who suddenly finds himself um, realizing that one of his clients is a little less than, than above board and he ends up, you know, and his, his whole s story kind of spirals out of control and it's a, kind of an interesting story. and. I guess while you know it's it's fictional, it sometimes begs. There's probably a, a little sliver of truth to some of these stories out there that these people must exist that help um, help less than savory business people assume the practices they must follow. Um, but as a family, shameless, yeah, I, I don't like to plug for Disney and Bob Iger all that much. But what I can say is is that it's kind of one stop shop. Right, my home family loved The Mandalorian, so that brought us together. Of like, well, what's the story of this? this little character and then um, you know you mentioned the the animated series I was not a fan of that when it came out I was I wasn't even gonna when I saw it at the library I was not even gonna check it out I was not gonna give it the time and then my kids started watching them and I have to admit they're sort of like watching the Looney Tunes as an adult you watch it and you realize you know, this was written for an adult audience as well there there's a component there and, and so the the storytelling on those Clone Wars and the Rebels later actually they're very rich and they're very deep and if you were looking for all the stories that were taking place outside the the Star Wars canon they're really rich stories that help kind of make sense of the, the the main story so I've kind of come to I'll sit down and watch it my kids are watching I'll kind of sit down like that's kind of compelling and I give more credit more so to the voice actors and the and the graphic you know the animators because when you sit and watch it on a high-def TV you're kind of caught sometimes going that almost looks like it's a stage. It doesn't feel like, you know, 2D uh, animation. So those have kind of brought me in and have given me a whole other set of hours of Star Wars. So that's, you know, the TV is, is out there. You just don't have to watch it with ads for Glade plugins and, you know, all the other stuff. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I've seen, I'm seeing Ozark a little bit. I, my wife and I started it, but we never finished it. Um, but, yeah. Very interesting, interesting take, and I, I do agree with you about how Netflix and streaming has changed the way we watch TV now. Like, you can you can sit and watch a show at the touch of a button, where you know busy people like us now we can we don't have to you know set our watch to be in front of the TV at eight o'clock to watch our favorite show that we're interested in. You know, if we're, we can do something and have it recorded or or play it on demand and makes it a little bit easier to have that outlet of entertainment and you know release from the day-to-day -day of work um a little bit faster than uh you know than back in the day you know sitting in front of the the big tv on the floor in my parents living room kids don't kids don't um relate you almost have that conversation of like we had a station called Snow, and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, that's like between, I had, we had 7 and 4, which was the same channel as the NBC affiliate, and then you had 29 and 8, those were ABC for Traverse City and Sault Ste. Marie, 
and then we had nine and ten, which was Cadillac and Traverse City. And so you literally, you, had, you know, and you click the button, and the kids are they chuckle. And I said, you don't understand. My my stepdad would have me hold the ears until we got Marty Stauffer's Wild America on PBS because we might get that or we might not. Yeah. And they're like, what? I'm like, they, yeah. So it's, it's no sometimes it's, it's a chuckle because they're like, <laughs> you liked Golden Girls? I'm like. Golden Girls is what came in. On the <laughs> that was all that was so on. <laughs> I, I started to like those ladies. They were a hoot. Betty White, cut, she was a cut up, but Hilarious. she had to like that came in. The other show just didn't, so I didn't watch that channel anymore. You didn't have many so, options. No, we're now so. we're now we almost have too many options. There's well, so much stuff. How many of us have sat down with just oh, I got 30, 40 minutes to grab something, and you spend 30, 40 minutes on Netflix trying to find something to queue up, and you're like, well, that kind of looks fascinating. Oh, I got to. Then you watch the little you know leader a trailer on that. And you're like, I'll put that in the, in the list. Yeah. And, and then you add YouTube to the mix, too, and that takes you down a whole nother. For sure. For sure. A whole nother uh, rabbit hole. Hi, this is Karen Walls from the Dexter High School administrative team, and you're listening to the Iron Dread Podcast. Additional support for the Iron Dread Podcast is brought to you by Holiday's Restaurant where every day is a celebration. Visit them at 2080 West Stadium Boulevard, Ann Arbor, Michigan, or at HolidaysRestaurant.com. Download their app and receive 10% off your first order when you download the app from the Apple or Google Play Store. Reinhardt Realtors and Associate Broker Tracy Rose. Give her a call at 734-726-5400 if you're interested in buying or selling a home. Ryan Mackey Photography of Dexter, Michigan. Find him online at Ryan Mackey Photography. Our local Ann Arbor Menards, 6405 Jackson Road, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Save big money at Menards. Bella's Transport Incorporated, 6435 North Territorial Road in Dexter, Michigan. A family-owned gravel hauling and trucking transport service since 2004. Give them a call at 313-433-4806. And last but not least, Eliza Scholes Photography. Documenting stories, milestones, and events through beautiful images. Now booking 2022 class senior photo sessions. Visit ElizaScholesPhotography.com or call 734-945-4968. I'm Becca Porter. And I'm Eden Schnurstein. We are Iron Dread Powerlifters. And you're listening to the Iron Dread Podcast. All right. So um, what would you say right now in, in your life is your number one hobby? Well, when you're, and as you well know, when you're getting ready for block scheduling and you're, you're preparing for a pivot in you know, curriculum delivery and all those kinds of things, I'd say um, I don't really have one uh, per se. I'm not like a, uh, you know, I don't have a, a thing I do every Saturday or Sunday morning necessarily. But, I, you know, if I can get my hands on a good book, um, and I can, I can take 20, 30 minutes to not do something on a screen. I'll, I'll just read a book. I'm finding I like large print books better now. As I'm getting older, we get large print <laughs> Reader's Digest. It's just easier. Yep. Um, when we, my wife and I first got married, we, we bought a, what I guess you'd officially term a fixer-upper. So we were doing a lot of stuff, and we made a lot of 
fails and redos and stuff on that and that so when we bought our second home here in, in Dexter I still like to tinker so I put in my own windows three or four years back because um, they were the, that was cheaper um, and I didn't mind doing it and you know I'm always liking to do things like little electrical work put a new little you know maybe a flush mount LED light in where I can or a couple years back I built a mud room so my wife wanted to kick a wall out where the washer and dryer was to have make more space when you come in from the garage and so pretty much that kind of stuff um, when you can travel uh, we usually go down to see family in Florida so that's always a good time we just haven't really been able to do some of those kinds of things but as my kids grow older we'd like to expose them to some more international travel and see the world we're hoping maybe to, to get out west if we can find a, some open space this year to go out and see some things so probably just trying to give as many good experiences for my family as I can and Imagine those hobbies. I got boxes of trains downstairs, HO trains that are supposed to be running around the a loop somewhere. So maybe we'll drag those out in a few years when there's time for it. Oh yeah, that my my grandfather and I used to used to do that. We would lay out the lay out the trains and make a loop, and we'd have them like of all places. Are, are, you know, you've probably never even heard of this chain of grocery stores, a Shoprite. Um, R I T E. Yeah. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's a New York, like East Coast grocery store chain, and they sold uh, every year for Christmas. They sold a new train set. Okay. So there was a couple of years where my grandfather uh, would get him, would get the train set from Shoprite, and then we would set it up, and we had a board, so we'd, we'd staple the track too, so it didn't move, and you know the little detail things. We'd go to train shows and and all that stuff. There's some, there's something so satisfying when you set it all up. And then you hit that little button, and that train takes off, and you watch it go around. Uh, of course, I was a uh, you know, rotten kid that would turn it up a little too fast, and then it would crash. They'd fly <laughs> off the side. And then I'd get told, don't break that train. Right? Don't break that train. And of course, I broke one one time, and you know, I lost trains for a little bit. But <laughs> it used to be fun. But that, and you brought up like working on your house, too. Like I think that's something that, for me, I feel more accomplished when I'm able to do something myself and then look at it and say I had no idea how to do that when it started but it doesn't look half bad right now you know I think that's fun, fun you know stuff. what I was trying to think whether it was a, a hokey story or not but during the 2016 Olympic Games I remember the commentators came out and they said you know this may be quite an interesting thing this year the javelin Olympic champion in 2016 in Rio was a man who when he was at least this is how I remember the story. He, he said, well, how did you learn how to javelin? And the guy says, YouTube. And so I thought, you know, that's a seminal moment when we don't need certain things because we can pivot to these other things. So literally when I got the quote from a, you know, a, a reputable one-day window guy, I was like, that's a lot of money. And then I ended up saying, well, I've put windows in on new construction. I never did an old, you know, on, on uh, remodel construction. So I just I went on YouTube and I found... This guy from homeimprovements.com is this guy with a nice Minnesota accent. I listened to his video, and I looked at all the stuff. I ordered the stuff. I'm like, if I mess one window up, I can take it out and I do it again and do it again. So there is something to, to that. Maybe, mine doesn't look professional, but then I realize, what's professional look like? So Does it know, work? Yep. It, and, you know, the windows are probably sealed a little better because I didn't have to worry about getting to the next job. Thursday, we got to get these. i got to move these crew over here and these six guys. So I... I pecked away a window, a window every week or every two weeks, and then when I had the big, you know, three glass slider, I just well, it, 
the glass came out on this day and the glass was going in this day. It was like 9.30 at night and I got it kind of tacked in and shut, you know, basically shut up for the night. And then the next day I went back and we, you know, I did all the, the insulation stuff. So it is fun. Yeah, it's fun. And it's fun to be able to, to look at your work, look back at your work every day when you look out that window and know that you, you did that. Right. And it's cool. All right. This next one is, is a heavily debated one here on the show. Okay. All right. Um, I actually, we were in interviews for a new position here at the high school with our new principal um, Miss Melanie Nowak coming up and we're, we're sitting there shooting the breeze in between uh, candidates and I asked her this question here and I won't okay. I won't spoil it because eventually she's gonna be on the show but you Mr. Dudash we want to hear your answer to this and it comes down to a food that I am very passionate about uh, being a native New Yorker, we know two things in New York, and that's pizza and chicken wings. Mr. Dudash, if you are ordering chicken wings, how are you ordering them? Uh, are you dipping them in any uh, side dressings, uh, etc.? What is your chicken wing order? If it can be done, I want them hot and really super hot but there's a distinction and they cannot be vinegary hot. And what I mean by that is if it's got that Frank's nuance or something where there's just been too much vinegary, I want them, if you have just ground up fresh habanero and a little, um, you know, like a uh, super chopper and you are hand dipping in and you're hand dipping them in a, you know, the fat, deep fat fryer with a coating, I want it to be spicy hot, not vinegary hot. So if there's a place where I can say, are you guys doing the Frank's, you know, ease up on that. Mm-hmm. So I'll take a, a, a hot, and then to cool it, the ranch. It's got to be the ranch. A blue cheese is okay, but it's got that weird, I don't need the chunky pieces of the blue cheese. <laughs> I like the flavor of blue cheese, but we'll go, we'll go ranch and keep it safe. Okay, super, super hot, uh, but not, uh, not, not with blue cheese, with ranch no. on the side. No. Um, that, that is the, um, the thing with spice. Like, some of these places, man, you get going, like, um, for me, if I if I eat something that's too hot, I get the spice hiccups right away, and I, I love it, but I get the hiccups. So you're saying you like to go up there? Have you ever done any wing uh, challenges? For no, I watched that one that was on uh, Diners, Dives, and Drive-ins or another show similar, and there was a place called Davy Jones Locker something wings. I saw it in a place north of Tampa, and I watched that show. And just the guy making them alone, he had like rubber gloves on, like mm-hmm. like I'm not talking like plastic food serve gloves. He had like chemistry gloves that mrs jones or somebody in the in the <laughs> science area would have and this guy was like you don't mess he had goggles on it. he's like he's putting habanero and then he's squeezing pure capsation into that and then yeah. what was funny about that was is um, when they did the challenge they had these two wrestling uh professionals they're the, the something brothers i think it was and these guys the deal was they had to finish the plate of wings and then they had to go through this this cooling off period like five minutes where they weren't able to drink milk or water and these fellows were just sweating their 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 uh you know the top of their heads were steaming and they made the challenge but it doesn't have to be like killer i just want it to be like i, I want to sweat i want my body to have a physical response as we're chowing down but then uh you know chase it with the with the ranch and maybe uh you know a, a refreshing drink but probably not something to help probably not bubbly because it would exacerbate the the, the hot. spice yeah, yeah. for sure I think that show you're referring to, I think that's one of my favorites, uh, Man versus Food. That's it. And those guys were legit. These, and what's funny is my, my, mother, uh, my mother-in-law, she loves, uh, she loves professional wrestling. So 
we watched that with her, and she's like, "Oh, I know those guys. It's it's the Dirty Boys or something like that. Oh, these the twins, na- the, the nasty, nasty Boys. Yeah, nasty I knew boy. it was something, and she <laughs> knew them right away. And I ha- I was in I was I was in stitches because I she actually knew them. Like, oh, that's the Nasty Boys. I'm like, Ma, what? what? She knew. I was, it was a great it was a great moment. <laughs> yep, I remember that episode. The the Nasty Boys uh, are Florida natives, so that's why they had them on there. That's right. Um, no, what's it? What's his name? Um, Skaggs and um, I forget the other guy, blonde hair guy. I, I can't remember his name right now. Knobs. Yeah, they're uh, they're those guys look like if anybody had the the, you know the the guts to to, to take it on, it would have been those two fellas for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I love I love that show. I'm, I'm so glad you brought up Man versus Food on this show, because I I find myself like. You know, a majority of the time I'm trying to, you know, stay within a certain calorie goal, do my, you know, do the things I need to do for training and whatnot. But if there's a good food challenge, I'm in. Okay. Like Bill Ivan and I have been talking about going and doing the Thompson's Pizza Challenge. I guess there's like a pizza that's, okay. you know, a, a huge, huge slice. You know, pizza slices bigger than your head. And if okay. two guys can eat it in, within an hour, then you get it for free. free. Okay. And we've talked, but they only do it in like October or something like that. Well, around here, there's another one you may want to try if you have a hankering for ice cream. Over at the Jackson All-Star Dairy, mm-hmm. um, right off the, the main drag up off of Airport Road, or it's, it's, it's in there. It's, it's been there for ages. And they have a thing called a Dare to be Great. It's 22 scoops of ice cream wow. on one plate, which I don't know how you finish it without it turning into soup. But if you finish it, I think there's a you get it for free deal. But it's like a it's like a twenty or thirty dollar deal. But nice. people go in the summer just to sit and eat a ice cream because like a single scoop is probably like a triple at Baskin Robbins, so, mm-hmm. right? But if you go in there, you go just for the interest of seeing like, oh, somebody ordered one. So now you've got your your night entertainment is to watch if this couple can you know can finish it. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard of that place. My wife told me about that place because yeah. we, uh, we we go to Jackson a lot. That's like where we do all our shopping. And she's yeah. like, oh, yeah, we got to go to the go All-Star to like Jackson Dairy. Jackson All-Star Dairy, yeah, for sure. So currently, um, right now, uh, I would assume, you know, I know you're a guy that's, you know, probably keeping himself physically active uh, and exercising. Are you still training? Are you still logging some miles and doing those things? Do you, have you switched up? You know, your activity to anything? Or? So for a good amount of years when I was coaching, there was that's the one thing about coaching that you know well is how do you find the time for yourself when you're hoofing Gatorade or ice buckets or this or this or you're doing the stats or you're calling the newspaper back when that was a thing or you're now you're generating all the stats yourself for the website. So one of the things that I realized when I was coaching is that the good coaches weren't also trying to run or do their own. You just can't at the same capacity. So for a long time at the high school for, for ages, uh, Joe Romeo and Dewey Scott, and even before that, Randy Swoverland, Corey Bergen, a lot of fellas played uh, morning basketball, and Ryan Bass was in the mix as well. And so a number of us would show up in the morning at 6 a.m., a couple days a week, Tuesdays and Fridays was kind of the days. And so I started playing down at the old high school with, uh, at the time, it was Dave Mesner and Dick Weaver, who was our tech director. So there was actually a pretty good group. You'd get six to 10, maybe 12, but usually it was always like three on three, four on four, maybe five on five if you're really good. And it'd be sometimes the sons and our daughters, Holly Cabana. She used to play with us, and trust me, she played she played at Albion, so she actually was pretty pretty talented. Um, Dewey's wife, Mrs. Scott, uh, you know, Mrs. Scott, Angie, Angie would play. Um, 
So we actually had a pretty good group of people. You'd, you'd get this group. So I played basketball for a number of years and was never good. I could hustle, but uh, you know, I, I every, you know, a, a blind squirrel even once in a while catches a nut. So I was I was always the guy that would be hustling for that. But then there was some time when we had uh, our kids were younger that I just I didn't really do what I needed to do. And then a couple years back, I was really inspired by uh, Fred the Grow, really, and Fred and. And Angie Scott at, at Creekside run the Run Walk Club. So Luke was a f- fifth grader. He shows up at the building and he says, hey, Mr. LeGros has this Run Walk Club. Can I go? And I'm like, what's this thing? And so Luke would I'd drop him off at 7.15 and uh, he'd skeeter out to the track and some kids would walk and other kids would run and I noticed he was walking and all of a sudden, the second one, he was like running with a couple other kids and I'm like, this is kind of an organic thing. And it was time for me to get out the door. I was probably driving my family crazy, and all this. I'm I'm kind of an intense guy. Anybody that knows me, so I kind of gotta keep busy, I guess you could say. So it was time to get out the door. And so about three years, two two and a half years ago, I said, "All right, let's let's get out the door." The other funny thing was, is is Luke was getting ready to run the Dexter Ann Arbor run. So we went up to the Dexter Ann Arbor run and got our our gear the night before and then I picked up this thing that said park run and this is something for for other people to know it was a really fascinating thing it's a free timed 5k that you can do that originally um, originated in London so somebody come up with this brilliant idea we have all these parks why don't we get people together for a park run park walk park stroll park jog park dog walk so somebody started this nonprofit first in in England and there's like a ton of them in the greater um, London area and then they've they've just blown up from there so Park Run USA operates in the same fashion it's totally free they they end up um, working with nonprofits or anybody that will sponsor their local they have a website put the stuff on to to give thanks to to the website and it was pure genius so what you have is a group of dedicated volunteers who have kind of like your CPR duffel bag you have sitting off here to the side they have a, a, a pat box of goodies that come from Park Run, some flags that say Park Run that you establish. So, and then they have um, finished chips that look like those things you get on your, um, for bushes that says like, you know, you're a preferred member and here's your barcode. So what happens is somebody has an app on their phone, you get there, it's about as chill as you can get. Everybody's like, hi, and it's, you know, in Ann Arbor we go to this place called Lily Park, which is on the, the east side of Ann Arbor. Um, right off of Ellsworth where the Swift Dog Run Park is, if kitty corner from there. You show up and everybody's very chill. It's a whole diverse group of people from all walks. There's university kids that are trying to stay fit. There's people with dogs ready to walk them, every leashes, everything's le- legit. And then so everybody gives like, this is what so-and-so, congratulations so-and-so, they ran a PR last week. And then they say, well, we're all ready. And so there's volunteers that just give up their time, no pay, there's no, you know, the price is right. And they just say, okay, well, we start the clock. So somebody hits go on their watch or on their, fo- their, their smartphone. Everybody runs. You run th- three laps around this, this kind of grassy, soft terrain around this lake. And then you come back around the soccer field and you finish at the finish. And it's supposedly marked out at 5K. I've got a, I've got a wheel I'm going to take next week and check it out myself. But mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure because I've run at the same time. So my son Luke and I went out and it was like, this is kind of like it's a road race, but it's not, meaning it's not like super intense. There's no T-shirts or any of the stuff, and at the end, you're not paying twenty, thirty dollars for a uh, entry every week, which that can it used to be five, six bucks to raise. Now it's like, and then you volunteer, you anticipate you'll volunteer the next time and help out or do something. Okay, so we show up, and then when you finish, 
they take your little barcode that you have, usually you just laminate it on a, like a business card size, somebody shoots it with their phone, and then you get home about an hour and a half later, here are the results of the race, or the, excuse me, the run. Mm-hmm. Some people treat it as a race, others as a, so then we were like, what a fun thing to do. So now, before pandemic, Luke and I got into the, like, I'd say we, we were, we'd done like 10, 12, 13 weeks in a row, and we missed one for travel, but we even went to Florida, found the one at Whedon Island in north part of uh, Pinellas County. We showed up three weeks in a row down there, like, oh, hey, hey, June, Jamie, I'm like, how do you, like, by the third round, I'm like, and they're like, oh, yeah, aren't you guys the ones from Ann Arbor, go blue, and I'm like, and so I ended up finding out a guy who had done a postdoc was now, you know, he's actually from Australia, but he'd done a postdoc at U of M, and now was teaching at USF, and he's the volunteer coordinator for the Whedon Island uh, park run. So we found this great thing that was not, no pressure. My son was a sixth grader at the time, and it was like, okay, let's just do this fun thing. So that got me excited because I was always a competitor. Like I'll, I'll run, but like I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be coach. Like I'm gonna get him to the line. So for me, I like to like look at the watch and go, okay, last week I ran. It was a little hotter today. Okay, that was ten minutes, ten seconds. Sorry, that's not bad. So that competitive component has got me back in the game a little bit. So um, last summer in the pandemic. I, I, from our house, it's all dirt. I, I, I put together a, a listing of uh, 14 miles in a big loop, and I made it to where I could at least find 13.1. And I ran a, a COVID unofficial half marathon, and I was able to get under 140. And I'm like, you know what? That's okay. 720, 720 pace. I can. That's not bad. Yeah. 725 pace. 724 in there. I think so. For me, that was, you know, that was nice to finally get back in the game. And I still like to play basketball. Play at the at the United Methodist Church from time to time, but with you know the restrictions, it's been mindful to see when everybody's really comfortable and you know with vaccines and what have you. So, yeah. love to play basketball. I'm just not very good at it, uh, but I can run the court and I'll try to find a good outlet pass to you if you're if you're good. So, yeah, yeah, you'll outlast those guys going back and forth. I figure at some point I'm gonna I'll be either cherry picking or I'll get you know and I try to be kind of pesky on defense, but you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> All right. So you're keeping yourself active. That's a cool thing there with the with the no charge runs. I mean that where people just you, you get a community of people together and that all enjoy a common thing and let's just go do it. Like it doesn't uh, doesn't require a ton of financial investment. Just people willing to give their time to be involved and to help run it. I think yeah. that's cool. No, I didn't know about that. All right. So. Obviously, our next one is your favorite sport to play. I think we already have well established that you're a cross-country, you're a track and field guy uh, uh, on that one. But in addition, well, I'll throw this one at you. In addition to track and field, which I'm sure is probably your premier sport to watch, what would be your second sport to watch there? Yeah, that's... I do like a good track and field meet. It's better to be live, but like I gotta admit, I watched the some of the state finals that was finally posted on Flow Track and YouTube, and I'm like, I was literally jumping off my chair watching the four by eight final between uh, the kid from Novi and Hobbs Kessler. I'm like, he's down four seconds, and this kid's the defending state champ, and there goes you know, the kid runs a 151 to anchor the Novi team, and holds off a kid running a 147.9. It's like, you don't see that too often in high nope. school. So. I would say probably favorite sport to watch. Um, yeah, that's a good that's a good one. I I like I like kind of watching uh, basketball. You know, I got to admit if there's a game on, I'll I'll turn it on. But 
I don't watch a lot of I'd rather do it I guess like mm-hmm. you know if you get to the playoffs I'll watch a good basketball but it's not like I'm tracking I've got all the stats I don't have a fantasy basketball or fantasy football league I probably should but yeah Rob, Rob Dubé runs our uh, runs our football fantasy fantasy league he's the commish okay uh, so if you want to get into that talk to talk to all the right. commish I'm sure he'll get you in okay um, most of us we get in and then uh about week three or four half of us stop paying attention to it so the ones that actually do pay attention start to pull away okay all right so the next one is you know we talked about wings um but do you have a favorite food that you like well i'm blessed in my family we eat a lot of a lot of different stuff but i would say um you know my wife makes a mean uh, beef curry and lamb curry because uh, she's she's from guyana so she, so we get a lot of food that is pretty spicy so um, that paired with a, you know a good uh, a roti a flatbread is really really good and also um, when we do Mexican food in our house or you know tacos or burritos we almost always make homemade guacamole and I don't know what my wife does if it's the the lime or the cilantro but for whatever reason it just pops so you know a good you know for Father's Day I'll probably ask for like a big you know Mexican spread or something like that and you know we make the salsa from home because we'll just cut all the stuff up and it's you know, and we'll let the we'll let the salsa kind of marinate a little bit in the in the in the lime, and it's 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 good. So, but I mean, I'm kind of like you, man versus food. Give me a good burger, and I'm I'm straight. Yeah, can't can't go wrong. Uh, I think when I, when I ask that question, I think probably tacos or Mexican food is one of the things that I hear the most from from yeah. people. Um, but nobody ever has, has said like making it fresh like you guys do at home. I gotta imagine it's ten times ten times better um, when you make your own salsa and your own guacamole and all these fresh ingredients coming together as opposed to buying it from the store. Well, guacamole has gonna it, it's because it's got that life that shelf life. When you crack the the avocado open, it, it there is a something to be said for you know I just dice the the tomatoes and my wife will get the guacamole and she's always the one putting just the right amount of salt and so to me it's like the fault what's that fire salt vinegar whatever all those those things that they, somebody wrote a book about it it's like she just finds that that medium that just makes it like dang this is you know so we'll end up she'll make a salsa and the guacamole and then we'll go and we'll actually bake the chips we'll put them in for you know 10 or 12 minutes in the oven so you end up getting that almost like restaurant feel of the the drawer when they're yanking it out and bringing it to the table and mm-hmm. so we'll It'll be nice, and then of course we'll sit down and watch some Star Wars, and all is well. <laughs> this is the way. Yeah. <laughs> Nicely played. Hey, did you did you celebrate May the Fourth? And now we're back on Star Wars. Again, I told you these these questions bounce all over the place. Sure. Uh, did you celebrate May the Fourth this year? Like I, I wore my my oh, Star sure. Wars Star had, Wars shirt. I had my Anakin Skywalker tie on for sure. I had my <laughs> you know I was gonna bring in my Master Effects lightsaber, but then every time I roll the dice, I think yeah, if I bring that thing in, and some kid wants to see it, and then they fool around with it, I'm like you yeah, know that, that that thing is actually, it's probably the only Star Wars toy A I haven't broken, and B is actually appreciated in value. Mm-hmm. All the other ones I you know over the years I had this Yoda Magic Eight Ball. Where you could shake Yoda and ask him a question, and he'll say, you know, you know, and then of course in Yoda speak it's like, unsure this is or something, and I'd be like, I'd shake it again and ask it another question, you know, as a stupid kid, what do I do? I took my knife one time. I want to know what that that thing thing was, and I carved oh, the inside man. and I slid out the. It was, and all it was was like a little pint-sized jar full of that colored water that it floats in, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, that's it, and I cracked it open, and I'm like. I'm like 
I see it on eBay and I go, oh, good grief, I think yeah. it was worth 40 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and only, only getting more valuable as the years go on, I'm sure. Absolutely. All right, so uh, the last one here is we're talking about music. So do you have like a, a favorite genre of music? Um, is there something that you really like to listen to when you're running versus when you're, you know, kind of hanging out or, you know, what, let's talk about your favorite music genres. And so that's a really cool one because when I think about it, the tough part is um, when I think about like running, we're in this strange place where, and that is the last thing you should really be doing. And so maybe this is my shameless like coach plug. You should never be on an open road with earplugs where you can't hear your surrounding. So what I would say is I like music. My son and I, we had this conversation about music and he's not a big into lyrics and voices and music. And, but I would think if I was on a track or a closed, like the, the B2B trail and I would throw some earplugs in or whatever and go running, I would like something that would be instrumental. So I was thinking about, about that question, thinking like, well, what would I respond to that? And so, um, you know, Back when I was coaching cross country and these kids were having so much fun, um, at the time, music in video games was really a new thing. And so when the Xbox was debuted in 2000, 2001 in there, of course the game that made the console was Halo. And it was the first real um, game that, that brought kids together. I mean, so here's a funny story, right? Before flat screens or cooperative play, the cooperative play afforded on the original black Xbox was if you had a Cat 5 cord and you had two or three machines, you could get up to, I think it was 12 or 16 players could all connect if you had four on this one, four, 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 four. So one of the things I remember most was Charles Walcott. His nickname was Chuck Diesel. Chuck Diesel walking into Lex Williams' house in Lock Alpine. He's carrying a 25-inch uh, CRT TV. He's like, Ugh. he hoofs it into Lex's room, plops it down next to Lex's 35-inch CRT. And another kid's hoofed in another one, and they've got them all linked. And I see these, you know, 125-pound, super skinny, lean, mean running machines. And what are they doing? It's just 2004. They're, you know, and they're playing Capture the Flag and Halo. And, you know, in the background, <laughs> right? So for me as a runner, it would be anything instrumental that will get you down the road faster. If you're on a track and they're like, and you're queued it up in the, in the box and you're like all right we're getting ready you're going to do repeats and here's a song and you rip out you know Haley uh, or ha the halo theme by marty o'donnell and, and michael salvatore that'd be all right or if you threw out uh pretty much anything from john williams right duel of the fates uh summon the heroes that's got the whole olympic you know feeling um, or olympic spirit that was a huge song in 1988 when i was in high school i used to have the, the sony sports walkman headphones on warming up on the track to to any of that and inspiring uh, comp composed music, I guess you'd say, rather than vocal music. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, if you had to pick one of those, are you going with the Halo theme to add to our uh, Iron Dread Weight Room Song of the Week playlist? Yeah, that would be the Halo. Yeah, that would be you play that one. I got. I shared. I shared it on the on the podcast script for you for sure. All right. And see how many kids know it. If you go uh -oh. on YouTube, you'll be kind of you'll be overwhelmed like there's orchestras that played that sound amazing there's a yeah. lady that plays with a guy and a grand piano out in the middle of this field and this lady on the fiddle plays it and you're just like that's it's just beautiful and so you know a great mm. shout out to video games not just as a waste of time but really a piece of culture 
Yeah, and and Halo absolutely was. Like I can remember being in high school, and somehow they got Halo on the computers, the school computers. So we'd be sitting there. We'd be sitting there. You know, we're supposed to be doing work. Um, you know, and Jeff Carliner, he retired uh, a few years ago, but you know, he's he's still out there. Yes, Mr. Carliner, we were playing Halo in your class when we were supposed to be doing, you know, something. I forget what it was. <laughs> a full lab of computers, and every one of us is playing Halo. And, uh, you know, that's why I, I think I can catch the kids a lot faster playing the video games because I was one of those that knew yeah. how to quickly hit the minimize button as the teacher was walking by. So I'm like, bro, when I see you and your hands are moving that fast, yeah. and I know you're not typing, <laughs> yeah. you're playing a game. And for us, it was Halo. Uh, multiplayer Halo, where all the all the people in the room would be on the same battle, yep. going. So, because I didn't have an Xbox, so that was my exposure okay. to Halo. So, okay. Well, mine's exp- you know we you talked about expanding the universe. My son at Christmas didn't want an Xbox One or the new Xbox X, whatever it is. He said, "Dad, there's this game. It's called SPV3." And I'm like, well, "What's that?" And he's like, "Well, it's a single-player view or something for Halo." And I said, well, "What do you mean?" He goes, "There's a whole community of people." that have built a playable game off of all the existing levels and then they've added this whole rich environment and layered it over it. And I said, well, how much is that? And he's like, well, it's free. I just need an old original Windows PC game to drive it. So I went on eBay, I bought the $4 game and now he's like, dad, they just released this. And then there was Lumaria Day, which was on the 17th where all of these people of a community membership, sort of like the park run, they loved the game so much that they just wanted to expand the universe, and then they took all the voiceovers from Halo Reach, Halo 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and they've created voiceovers, and then found the voice actors original and said, would you be willing to come and do other voiceovers? And I'm like, I don't know if we can pay you, because it's a... So you see this love for something that began. So whether Bungie or 343 or Microsoft gets paid, I, th- I wonder if they leave them alone arguing the buzz and passion for the game is transcendent such that they're like if we lose this much market share we'll gain here because so many people are still talking about halo and going like well they're going to reduce you know and of course they are because now they're doing a combat evolved i guess whole new series that they're going to push to the new game so if they sell the membership to that at xbox live or xbox gold they'll still make their money and people are still talking about it and Mm -hmm. so you get some you get some talking about it and Hey, one of the one of the classics. I mean, I can you know similar to that. I can remember being a kid and the uh, Nintendo sixty four and the uh, James Bond Goldeneye. Yep. Right? Very 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 similar uh, game, but you know obviously in a different setting. Okay, so we'll add the the Halo theme to our Iron Dread Weight Room Song of the Week playlist. Remember, you can find that Weight Room Song of the Week playlist on Spotify. Uh, just go in the show notes and look for the link. Or just go into Spotify and type out Iron Dread Weight Room Song of the Week. And you can listen to the Halo theme. Um, Mr. Jamie Dudash's pick for this week's Iron Dread Weight Room Song of the Week. Sponsored, as always, by Crank It Up DJ Service and Line Dance Instruction. And we will play a short sample of that song at the end of the show. All right. So... Uh, Mr. Dudash, uh, anything exciting coming up for you in the near future, either professionally or personally, that we haven't talked about yet? Well, I think uh, professionally, certainly, um, we're looking forward to you know a new a new schedule at the high school. We're also looking for an opportunity to have new leadership, uh, as you know, Principal Moran has spent 15 years at the helm, and 
I think everybody's excited about um, the chance to do just something that's going to be different and somebody else is going to have an, an opportunity to express their, their direction of the building. I think we're all excited about that. So that's kind of new, I guess, for, for me or for all of everybody on, on staff. And But personally, I think at the end of the day, like uh, my son's getting closer to high school, so I'm getting more fired up about you know, his own opportunity to, to see if he wants to take running in a, in a direction. But as a parent, I'm also kind of patient to, to give him his space to do what he does or doesn't want to do. So um, no, I, I think the most exciting thing is I love what I do. And I think when when you think about the careers that many people have, if you can find that thing that makes you want to get up every day, and for me, it's you know the kids coming in the door and giving them the, the tools and skills to succeed. That's that's what I want to do, and um, I love doing that. And um, you know, as far as upcoming stuff, um, I'm teaching a new class just this year, so I'll be teaching IB Global Politics next year for the first. Uh, or for the second time, maybe the first time face to face in a more conventional setting, right? Is mm-hmm. without the, the the trappings of what we've had to, to struggle through this year. So maybe a little bit of normalcy. I'm looking forward to that if that's what we get an opportunity to see, and hopefully families are able to be safe and students and and and, and community members and so forth. And uh, ever hopeful that you know kids keep getting out of what we have to offer in the classroom on a day to day basis, and and they see. A reason to come in the door every day and we try to make that for them so that's what we we have to do right? we get them get them to come in the door and you know i like to i you know, kid around with my kids and said you know this is uh, the best 90 minutes of your day now only available to you twice a week <laughs> for a limited amount of time that's right coming you know. to it coming to us a, a learner near you right yeah. and I th- to me i think you're right good teaching is about the content but it's about the craft i think there's a, there's a good measure of curriculum and content matter but the, I always find that the kids that say they remembered whether it was they didn't remember the class per se, or they might not remember, but they remember how they felt, you know. And I, I, I had Mrs. Lukart and Cricket, Cricket uh, Chamberlain as a student. She's now our, our beloved art teacher. And she went on and on just last week about, oh, and then when we studied this thing about the, the genocide in Rwanda, and then I took this thing, and then the film you showed in the background, and then I did this whole art project. And I'm like, you never told me that. She's like, oh, it was, it was, it was so like turnkey. It, it it made my whole senior project, and you know, those are the reasons why I think teaching and, and coaching are so fulfilling as career paths because you have the chance to, and maybe you don't ever see it. But I had the good fortune just last week with with Mrs. Chamberlain to see that with cricket, and you know, Alex Heike, we sh- we swapped stories because he was an athlete and a and a team captain for me, and and those are really special. And those emails you get from time to time, I I. You know, or maybe a personal note in the mail, and those those matter. Um, but it really it comes down to it's about the kids, and like what we've said about the teaching coaching piece, you want them to go further than what they thought they could, push beyond what's the oh I just this is a I, this is my comfort zone, and then they and you go okay give me three more reps, or can you go another repeat, or can you do the summer commitment so when you come in and in August you're really ready to go, so you'll be ready so you have a November, you know if it's cross country or whatever. So, I mean, that's why, yeah, that's why we do it. And it's fun to see the kids, whether they end up a Navy SEAL or they're in the Peace Corps or they're working, working in town and, and doing something honorable in, in, in the community or they're running a small business or furthering the career, you know, well beyond the scope of Dexter. Those are, you know, you want them to just have the most full life that, that you can help prepare them for and have them believe in. Absolutely. And, and to... 
I think one of the things that, because when I think about people being on this show, right, I'm always like, all right, everybody's got a story. Everybody can learn from somebody's story. But I also look at it and say, all right, as an educator, right, the person that's sitting in that chair that you're in, if my kids that are in that come in this room every day, they listen to it, can they take something positive from that person? Now, you're a, a different example because they already are taking things positive from you within this building. You make connections with students. Kids talk, right? I know, I know that kids like Mr. Dudash, they enjoy your engagement and what they learn from you, right? You are making connections with them. And I think that, that connections that you make with these kids, like you said, allows you to help push them to levels that they never thought they can do. And, and whether it's within the, the framework of doing work in your class or just motivating them to go on to whatever their, their future aspirations are, when we build connections with these kids, it makes us better teachers. Not only just from content, but in how we affect their lives. And we go to graduation, you know, the last two years, you and I have volu both volunteered at graduation. I'm sure you've done it long before uh, I ever was there doing it. It's, it's a rewarding thing for us to stand there and watch those kids walk across that stage. You know, and we know them and we know how we interacted with them. You know, and maybe we're, we're, we always stand off to the side, right? You and I were together last year over by the, by the fence. And if they can come off that stage and, and catch a glimpse of us standing there and you just give them that wave, like, congrats. Like, that, that's one of the coolest things, I think, ever, that, that you made a connection with a kid and, and motivated them. And, and you're, you're a, a, a pivotal figure in their life. I think that's what it all, all comes back to. So we're, we're kind of getting close to the end here, Jamie. I don't want sure. to keep you too long. Um, but is there anything interesting that people may not know about you? Well, probably not. I mean, you've been around long enough, people kind of know your story. Um, I guess I think when I think about, um, you know, you talked about the, the story and, and what is the story that we all have, I think... The longer I teach, the more wisdom that I learn from my students, you know, that I take from them is, is that when they sit there in that chair, I try to remember as, as my story, they may think they have a story like, oh, Mr. Dresch probably because he teaches in Dexter, this is his family lineage, and this is how simple the, the story is and the narrative. And, and I, hopefully I shared a little bit that, you know, they're pretty humble beginnings. There, there was no, like, superstar athlete that was like, well, his dad was this and his mom was this. and so. For me, coming to, to teaching and coaching was kind of a long road, and then when I look back, I go, I wouldn't have been here without teaching, without good teachers and coaches, and clearly. And so I think the thing they wouldn't know about me is that when a student's sitting in my classroom, I'm trying to, as best I can, release myself of any of the bias or the anticipation that, oh, I know, I know Chris's story, I know... I know, you know Mike's story, I know Brianna, what her story is, because, oh, I had her older brother, her older sister, is that the older I get, the more I try to remember every kid, even within a family, the dynamic can be so different that every kid has a story. And so I think you brought it best, back best by saying, I'm really trying, as, as difficult as, you know, you grow older, you think you're more set in your ways, I'm trying to have that flexibility of thinking of, what does this kid need right now? And it could be wholly different than even what they needed last year when, or two years ago when I had them as a student, as a freshman, now they're a junior. They might need things differently. So I guess what they might not know, I, mean, I was born on Halloween, supposed to be born on Christmas. That's a little different. So I was, you know, under four pounds when I was born. That's kind of an interesting thing. Spent a month in the NICU. Um, 
don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm, I'm here. That's good. Uh, I'm left-handed. I don't know if that's a good sign. We've had a lot more left-handed presidents than right-handed, according to the, to the, <laughs> to the records. Um, let's see. I've, I've done a fair share of traveling. I've been to India and China, um, Singapore, uh, Germany, but only the airport. We never got out of the airport, just in the transfer. Um, been to England once. So I've done a little traveling, but I certainly would like to do a lot more. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, you, you never know. It's kind of like what Forrest Gump says, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, right? <laughs> so the reality is it's like you, you try to put your best effort out there, and I just try to remain ever humbled that I'm not perfect. i got a long way to go. We're never finished. I think we're all on the road to, to something better. And, um, I, you know, kids hear me say, make your good better and your better best, you know. Um, I was just thinking about, I was talking to a student yesterday, I was coaching a student yesterday, it was great, I was talking to this young man, he's a cross-country runner in, in my class, and I said, you know, there's ten words that were told to me when I was younger. Um, I said it was, it was easy, it was ten words, and they're all two-letter words, and you can put them on your fingers, and it was, if it is to be, it is up to me. And I thought, you know, that's pretty simple. So Coach Wuerr, my Hall of Fame coach in high school at Kingsley, um, would tell us that, and, and I know other kids heard it and he probably threw it by the wayside, but I always remember, if it is to be, it is up to me. And I thought, well, that's really pretty much pretty simple. He kept it simple because we, you know, we weren't the sharpest tools. We didn't have AP and IB or anything. I didn't even know what AP was when I went to college. Um, and then the other thing that I tell my own son when, when he's struggling with something, or and I, and I told this, this scholar athlete yesterday was, I said, when you're out there and you're facing the have I done enough or have I, you know, how am I gonna, how am I gonna overcome if you're getting ready for a competition is if you look at and can think of four words, I did the work. I did the work. Four simple things, that's even one less finger on one hand, I did the work. And as a distance runner, there's a time when you're always out there and you're questioning, are you gonna go from, are you gonna, you've been competitor, are you gonna move into the non-competitor category, are you gonna move into the participant? Well, I got my t-shirt, I made it to this meet, well, my parents are gonna take me for dinner anyway. Ah, forget it. Let's just roll it up and call it a day. And you know, you have to double down on those efforts when you have that self-doubt doubt creep in. And so it's that question when you say, "No, I I did the work. I did the work." And then you're you know you're on a guy's shoulder or a gal's shoulder, and you're are you going to make a move or not? Are you going to let that race get by you and, and pass you by, or are you going to engage? And um, so I think the thing about me is I, I try to wear my heart in my sleeve, and you know that. Um, I always want to give you your best effort. You know, I want you to give your best effort, and I'm going to try to, to give you the tools I can. And if I don't have the tools, which there are many I don't, uh, give me some space and time, and I'll go hunt them down. You know, I'm not your weight man guy. That's that's a coach wit thing. You know, well, I don't know how to do light weights because I want to. I don't want to get buff, but I want to get strong. Coach Witt's going to be. You know, we'll find you the tools. If you're interested, we'll, we'll get you the things you need to be successful. Yeah. yeah, that's a great, great sentiment there for sure. Well. Um, Jamie, I won't. I said I will only keep you for an hour and a half, or a little bit over, over that. Um, the only other thing I want to ask you is, uh, do you have any sort of professional social media that, if uh, anybody listens to this, they want to shoot out and say, "Hey, Mr. Dudash, you know, loved your episode on the podcast." Is there any any social media things like that people could reach you at? I would just say share the love with the Dread, uh, Iron Dread uh, podcast and, and give every recognition for you. You're the one that's putting the hustle together and, and doing the hard work and, and all the editing on the backside with the with the garage band and doing it right and, and, and so forth. So I, I shout it out your way. 
All right. So if you listen to this episode and, and you want to uh, get a message out uh, to Mr. Dudash here, just hit us up at Iron Dread Pod on uh, all the major socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, I'll make sure that he gets any of the messages that you want to send his way. So, Jamie, uh, I think that's all I got for you. Again, I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you coming in, and this was enjoyable. As always, talking with you is always fun, and this one was fun too. Coach, thank you very much. Yes, sir. Thanks again to Mr. Jamie Dudash for stopping in this week and having a conversation with us. Thoroughly enjoyed getting to talk with him this week. So we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back with everyone's favorite segment of the Iron Dread podcast, your Iron Dread Weight Room Song of the Week, presented as always by Crank It Up DJ Service and Line Dance Instruction. This is Kit Moran, principal at Dexter High School, and you are listening to the Iron Dread Podcast. The Iron Dread Podcast is brought to you in part by Crank It Up DJ Service and Line Dance Instruction, available for all your DJ and line dance needs. Please visit crankitupdjdancing.com for booking information. So crank it up! This is Tom Fassel from Marlboro Track and Field, and you are listening to the Iron Dread Podcast with the amazing Chris Whitaker. Yes, it's time for everyone's favorite segment of your Iron Dread podcast, and that is your Iron Dread Weight Room Song of the Week, presented as always by Crank It Up DJ Service and Line Dance Instruction. This week's song, selected by special guest Mr. Jamie Dudash, is the theme from a video game that we talked about on this episode, and one that brings back many great memories of my childhood and I'm sure, for many of you listeners, many great memories as well. And that is the theme from the original Halo video game. This is composed by a man named Martin O'Donnell. The original Halo theme. Here we go. Crank it up.
There you have it. This week's Weight Room Song of the Week chosen by our special guest, Mr. Jamie Dudash. And that is the theme from the original Halo video game. Again, many big, uh, great memories of that. Um, and we referenced that song and that game as we went through our episode this week. So, folks, we're getting to the end here. Next week, we're going to be back with special guest, assistant principal at Dexter High School, Miss Karen Walls on episode 64. But until then... Remember, strength is never a weakness. Tough people always win. Around here, we're becoming dread stronger. I'm Chris Whitaker, signing off.